Vodka. 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 Vodka o'clock. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love. And just to give a little intro before the intro of the show this week, um, just a reminder that the show's explicit and we talk about some really great things. We get into sexuality and gender and um, just what I find as really fun discussions. But yes, we are labeled as explicit website and podcast. So if that has concern for you, then you might want to skip this one, but I don't think you need to. Um, Surprisingly, a lack of F-bombs. I don't know how that happened. Um, And anyway, we sort of had to like abruptly wrap up the show because my guest had to leave and and quickly run out. So I just want to remind you that if you're listening to this episode of Vodka Clock when it comes out, then that means this coming weekend is Superhero Weekend at Comic Fusion in New Jersey, which is October 3rd and 4th, 2015. So that is our big two-day event. It's a fundraiser for the organization called Casa Shaw, which is court-appointed advocates for foster families here in uh, three counties they cover in New Jersey. So it's a really important organization, and our comic art auction and raffles are all going to benefit that organization this year. So come out October 3rd and 4th. Um, Sarah Donner is going to be playing on October 3rd, and I believe there's going to be another musical guest, so I don't really have their information yet. But um, if you come, then hopefully you will have a lot to enjoy. We've got some artists and writers from comic book industry coming out on both days and tons of cosplay plans. So if you are interested in cosplay, there is a specific Facebook event page set up just for the cosplay rosters that people can see what other people are planning if they want to make any sort of group plans or you know, work out things with photographers because we are um, usually lucky enough to get several photographers there throughout the weekend. So that is it for announcements. Oh, wait, no, I lied. It's not. Go get Protectors. It's uh, the volume two of the Protectors series. It benefits the organization called Protect for uh, helping change and pass laws about child exploitation and abuse and things that affect children that are really um, unfortunate in our country. So uh, you would go to protectorsbooks.org to uh, learn all about both volumes that are currently out. I have a story in volume two called Protectors Heroes, and it's an amazing book. It's a gigantic book. I will tell you, I've now seen the hard copy and it's huge. So uh, you will find my story in there and uh, you can also get it electronically. So um, if you have any questions about that project, let me know. And I can, if I can't answer it, anything, I will put you in touch with somebody who can. So let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love and you're listening to Vodka O'Clock Podcast from amberunmasked.com. Don't forget that you can sponsor the show on the website through Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked and you can pledge as little as a dollar per week. And returning to the show today, this is going to be very exciting. We have entertainment lawyer, literary agent, performer, Eric Rubin is back. Hey. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Thanks for having me back. It's but you were on episodes. I went back to look thirteen twelve and thirteen twenty nine. So that means it was way back in two thousand thirteen. So we have a ton of catching up to do. Wow. Um, I also yeah. was medicated when we spoke last. I have a memory that I was having some kind of dental disaster, and so <laughs> yeah. now my only excuse is some sleep deprivation. But it's really not an excuse. I'm just very happily busy. So. Um, I should be more awake. There you go. That's awesome. Thanks. Well, 
Yeah, I'm. I always love uh, dopey medications myself. For me personally. Well, I'm. I'm. I would rather be fully awake so that I can enjoy you completely. Okay. Well, I've finished my coffee. You're. You've got your latte. <laughs> um. So you know, is that a you're in the Big Apple? You've been there for a few years, and then, or I should say, back to the Big Apple. Right. Uh, so how are things in the New York office going? Uh, fantastic. You know, um, I was uh, living in New England for quite some time. And then as a result of uh, my personal choices, uh, changed the way my personal life is. And ultimately, I now I'm totally cool and live in Brooklyn. And I have an office in Soho, which for people who don't know, um, Soho stands for South of Houston. And it's in lower Manhattan and I work in a building with lots of creative people. I have access to a screening room and all sorts of cool things. Um, I'm what I'm doing is, yeah, you're right. I'm an attorney and I do some entertainment law stuff. I do criminal law stuff, general stuff, really pretty much all kinds of things because I've been an attorney for almost 30 years. Um, and I'm also a literary agent. I've sold books for clients and represented clients to, uh, pretty much every major publishing house in New York and many all across the country. Um, I also represent some actors now as a talent manager. Um, and I'm going back to writing and performing comedy myself. I was a stand-up comedian back uh, in the late 90s and the early 2000s. The last time I did a gig was in 2003. I actually opened up for someone named Barry Crimmins, who was pretty famous. And Bobcat Goldwith just did a documentary about Barry. But I had opened for people like Louis C.K. and uh, Eugene Merman and other big names. Uh, and I performed comedy all across the country. So I, I'm not to mention that I've you know been in commercials. Ad print ad campaigns off Broadway, uh, so I have the history of being a performer. Right now, I'm just going back into writing and performing my own stand up. In addition to the other things I said, so maybe that's why uh, I'm a little tired. <laughs> that could be that could that could explain a lot, and and it, you know it also explains why I love your Twitter feed so much because um you it, you're pretty usually really really reserved online and then you do the tweets from whole foods and it <laughs> it is it cracks me up every time i'm like okay okay i need this right now well you know as long as you're talking about twitter i decided to open a new twitter account so i have two twitter accounts the one okay. where i talk about you know being an entertainment attorney and an agent and all that stuff is eric rubin lawyer is it okay to shill for myself like this on your show? It's um yeah, that's the whole point. Uh, yeah, well, my and it's my name, but you got to spell it right. So it's E R I C R U B E N lawyer, all one word. Um, but my new uh, Twitter uh, for just my comedy and performing and all that stuff is shockingly Eric Rubin comedy again spelled E R I C R U B E N comedy. And so tweets from Whole Foods, anything comic, uh, anything that's not businessy and it's more entertainment-y will be there. And, of course, I'll retweet myself. So if you do just follow me in the showbiz thing, you can see my comedy stuff. But I'm I want to separate it a little. Um, I think that sometimes in the past I have been 
mislabeled as frivolous. And uh, I just want to make sure that people understand that, you know, as an attorney for almost 30 years, uh, with no complaints for professional ethics in three different jurisdictions, uh, that I know what I'm doing and uh, I take everybody's business seriously. Uh, but I also am a fun person, so I have the other yeah. feet as well. Thanks. And while I'm talking to you, I got distracted because a friend of mine in I share office space with uh, has their Labrador Retriever in the office. There's lots of dogs in my office. And the dog was running back and forth chasing a ball outside this conference room. And uh, I just love that dog. So anyway, sorry about Aww. that. I will try to not be a distracted uh, child with ADD. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I used to work in an office where um, once in a while a dog, a very well-behaved dog would come in too. He was so nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I separated my Twitter as well. So that way, like my my porny adult <laughs> stuff, it has its own its own feed. Um, and it's also like a protected account. So that way I need to approve people. Oh, is that um, like your, what is it? Your tweets are protected, right? You have to, so yeah. you, cause I know, uh, I mean, but you're, you do a lot of cosplay, you, uh, you write, you've been a, an artist's model, but yeah. you also have done, I don't know, quite the uh, adult entertainment. Is that the appropriate? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, like cheesecake stuff, uh-huh. you know, and some, and, but it's definitely like adult entertainment. Anything that makes money off of sex uh, and stuff is still like the, the the wee stages of sex work until you get up to you know like prostitution it's like uh you know there's like a, there's a big spectrum there but uh well you know as an attorney and i'm not giving advice today but uh prostitution is still illegal almost everywhere in the united states just want to throw that out there and to yeah. my knowledge uh knowing you for years uh you have never been a prostitute so i wouldn't uh that's not that I'm aware of, and let's not have a true confession moment. This is not what this show is about. <laughs> but I know you've done some modeling, and uh, you do have uh, a substantial fan base. Yeah, and you know, and that's uh, thinking about you and the the authors that you represent. I know that you're pretty sexually liberated, and you have these authors who are not afraid of, um, you know, talking about um, like their their characters. They have gay characters, and they could be like. Sh- dropping handsome navy seals and mm. you know and everything's hunky dory with with uh well i do your, right I, your content. i'll say this i represent clients who've written all kinds of things and like you said uh i'll back up and say first of all i'm going to go out on a limb and be very controversial and say i think sex is good <laughs> i think sex between consenting adults is a great thing for myself yeah. and other people i find this society uh, amusing and interesting in that they use sex both to entice and shame. And the they meaning Madison Avenue, certain leaders, whatever. But I find that people are, you know, we're all sexual beings. So it's no secret or it shouldn't be a surprise that that reveals itself in entertainment. So yes, writers I represent, you know, Often uh, they write erotica, or even if it's straight up romance, there's sex. Even in mystery writers like my client Ray Daniel, you know, that there's going to be sexual people who populate their books. Um, the actors and actresses that I represent, um, you know, are attractive. Um, they don't, they're not all 20, and they're not, you know, 
they're not all um, what people might consider uh, the playboy centerfold type people, but they all bring a certain charisma and sexuality to what they do. And I think we all do that. Um, where am I going with this? I absolutely have no idea. However, you know, there's a lot of comedy also in sexuality, especially given what I talked about before, the fact that this society that we live in is so confused, ambivalent, however you want to put it when it comes to sex and sexuality. This is, um, uh, this is a perfect time to, to talk about the, the publishing market and the entertainment market in general. Be, um, obviously, there's crossover when you novels are frequently adapted, you know, into shows and movies and everything. Sure. And the maligned, for as far as I know, very good reason, Fifty Shades of Grey made over $166 million just at the box office mm-hmm. with one movie. Awesome. Just one movie. And there's a second in the works. And there's, yeah, and there's more coming. And so because you do represent authors who are liberated like this, do things that are considered like, you know, bad entertainment actually boost the sales of things that are considered better quality entertainment in the same field? Um, I, I have to admit, I'm confused when you say bad entertainment. I, can you be more specific? Because well, I just a mean of, a lot of people hate it. Okay, so you're talking about the quality of it, like if it's yeah. if it's not well written or it's not well performed. Yeah, I mean the grammar is abysmal. Okay, well I'm not gonna. Uh, all right. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I wish I represented um, these people because who there are several people, I'm not going to name names and you're already talking about who there are many people who feel that they are not good at what they do and they've made a lot of money. I will say this. I have a tremendous amount of respect for them because of their success. Um, and, um, there once was a West wing episode. I love Aaron Sorkin. I love the West wing where one of the characters was describing somebody's candidate and said that, you know, their your candidate was Herman Hermits to their Beatles. And the retort to that was, hey, don't make fun of Herman's Hermits. It's, you know, they were good or whatever, and it's hard enough to get to the charts. And the truth is Peter Noon was awesome. They were great songwriters. And while they were fluff, they were awesome fluff. So getting back to this, like, I, I understand people – having judgments about the quality of somebody's writing. I just want to say, though, that success has uh, its own sort of merits. Um, Now, that being said, I'm not going to talk about Mr. Trump, but I, I could go down a rabbit hole. So let's go back to your original premise. What do I think? I think that there, uh, in the same way that 50 shades then opened up, uh, more market for people who are writing, let's just say, in my opinion, better quality BDSM, erotica, explicit material. You know, we have to remember that years and years before Fifty Shades showed up, a lot of people were writing really good BDSM, erotica, and other types of erotica. They just weren't, you know, it just hadn't hit a tipping point. So there was a small group of people who were enjoying that kind of work, but they, you know, for a variety of reasons, that work wasn't getting out there, whether it was certain people's concerns about being labeled a certain way because they enjoyed it, their fear that other people wouldn't enjoy it, uh, whatever it was. But, But one thing that I've talked about in the past, I'll probably still talk about, 
is the fact that technology has driven the changes in the entertainment business. So that, let's say, 20 years ago, Fifty Shades probably wouldn't have broken as big because it wouldn't be as available in ebook form. I think that a lot of the success for Fifty Shades is a result of the fact that you know, various people in Kansas, Kentucky, West Virginia, or whatever, can get that book without having to walk into a bookstore, without other people seeing them reading it. Um, and yeah, I do have a judgment about people who live in those places. Sorry, folks, maybe they're more open-minded than I am. But let's just say anyone anywhere who feels like they don't want other people to know what they're reading, um, they can now download it. Um, they can read it on a subway, on a bus, whatever, without other people knowing what they're reading. Um, and as a result, I think that has helped drive sales. And also, it's just a time in our cultural evolution where, you know, this is after the sexual revolution, followed by, you know, the backlash of, you know, AIDS and herpes and other issues. You know, there's always pendulum swings. Uh, who knows what ultimately drove it, but, you know, it makes a tipping point and suddenly everybody knows this. And um, now it's certainly more, uh, this kind of entertainment's more available to people and other writers who some people think are arguably better technical writers of this material or have more interesting imaginations regarding this material uh, Tiffany Rice, if I'm saying that correctly, who uh, I'm sort of friendly with, writes really great erotica. And she, you know, would she be as popular if Fifty Shades hadn't been as big a deal? I don't know. The good news is we will never know, but she's still popular, and that's great for her and her fans. That is great. Um, I'm. You brought up the online shopping, and I actually did have a question, so maybe you're the right person to ask. When... An author, I've seen this happen a lot with um, with comics in particular, so I don't know if the visual medium is what the concern is, but when something is bought on an online platform and then it's like banned from that store for being too explicit for whatever those terms are, like Apple Store is notorious. Um, Google Play has now been like banning content. Um, but then something like Fifty Shades of Grey, they're never going to say no to because they're making millions of dollars. Right. So what is a, what is a creator supposed to do if I mean in that case? Well, you know, I'm not familiar with that. I actually haven't represented anybody whose stuff has been banned. And in the past, I've actually represented someone who was an adult entertainer, but I never represented them in their work. Um, there, we were looking toward creating a, a couple of projects, literary projects, and it never happened. Um, so I, I don't know um, uh, the. I think I am not familiar with the rules that these various platforms have. And I would guess there, if I was a lawyer for those platforms, there are probably very specific rules and guidelines and that they were somehow violated. Um, it doesn't, you know, the first amendment doesn't protect people from certain companies, keeping them from being distributed. Um, However, you pro those creators, as a 
as an agent and a lawyer and someone who has some business acumen, I would say, I would use that as a feather in my cap. I would say, you know, you can't get this at X, whatever Z or, you know, the Apple store won't tell it. It's too explicit, but you can get it off of my own website or, you know, a lot of times uh, that just makes it uh, more inviting, more enticing. Um, and you know the word of mouth in the community these days on Twitter and Facebook and other social media, um, even Instagram, which I don't really use, but apparently is now a much bigger deal and I probably should be on it. But uh, I think that um, there's still opportunities. And so if certain online stores don't let you make things available, I think that you may have to create your own platform or the demand will be such that a new platform will exist. You know, um, explicit material will be available as long as it's not illegal. And even then when it's illegal, uh, we've seen that it's still available. So. Well, you bring up marketing uh, and that was a really great point. It reminds me of the eighties and uh, well, I think it was the eighties, maybe it was the nineties when Madonna came out with a video too explicit for MTV. And so they literally just sold the video, you know, through record shops Open your heart and, to me, maybe? Was that... uh, no, I think it was Justify My Love. Oh, you're right. It, it was, was like very porny, very, you know, it was like all black and white. It was very, you know, very porny. Um, but a, a fantastic adult song and everything. And mm-hmm. she obviously is very big into consent. Um, that, that Madonna. <laughs> yeah. I, it's funny. I saw her. It was around that same time she was on Letterman. And she was making herself the most difficult guest. And then the next day he came on and said, hey, that Madonna, I think she likes controversy or something. It was like just so obvious what she was doing. But she's great. She's still great at it. I mean, Madonna is my age or maybe a little older. She sure looks a lot better than I do, at least to me. And there she is with Nicki Minaj and a whole bunch of other amazing people on her video, dancing awesomely, doing some really great stuff. If people haven't caught that video, it came out in June, I think, and it's called I'm Madonna, bitch. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, Uh, I saw that. I found it on YouTube. Yeah, that's how I found it. I mean, I don't know. I don't watch. I don't even think MTV has videos on it anymore. (laughs) I don't think so. But, um... Yeah, now you just go to Vivo, the Vivo channel on on YouTube. Okay, sure. Well, I don't. I, I have no idea. I, you kids yeah. and your crazy videos. Uh, I remember yeah. though, and I'll say this like the old man that I am. Before you were born, and I was in college, MTV came out, and for the for a considerable amount of time, it was commercial free, and we just sat in front of it, and we watched the same twenty videos or whatever, because a lot of stuff hadn't been out. And the, you know, music videos are a great. Uh, a great um, analogy or I don't know, they're a great example of technological shifts. I mean, when it first started out, I mean, I remember seeing the who doing sort of a quasi live performance and that was their video. And then you'd see, I think the band was called rainbow. Oh my God. But it would just be like guys playing and then a woman with very little clothing on dancing. 
and that was yeah and then they might change like they might green screen the background and like that was the extent of of yeah. the special so effects they're on and, the beach, and then they're in the alps and the whatever and and now now it's like a little mini movie well, like it, madonna honestly i was just it was maybe a week or so ago i was looking up madonna videos because i really don't get into music videos that much anymore but she has some that are remarkable and there's one where she's in this like sort of like a steampunk ringmaster kind of outfit and this whole town is like obliterated apocalyptic style and it's just <laughs> she has such visual appeal right you know to her work as well so david bowie great. david bowie yeah. when you know let's dance there was like a whole strange Absolutely. movie quality about that and, yeah and, and you know it's great for bowie because i mean he is a an artist in the truest sense, in my humble opinion. So, um, and then you just saw what people did and it was also a great entree for amazing directors. I mean, Spike Jones got his start doing videos as did many, is it McGee or I forget his name. There's lots of great directors working today who got their start doing music videos. Now had this, had they started instead of in the eighties and the fifties and sixties, they would have cut their teeth on television commercials, you know, um, and maybe some of them did anyway. Uh, and now it's funny. Now they go back to doing TV commercials because the payout is so big. Like the, there's an Eli Roth. Or, uh, I'm never going to say his name correctly, but he's done that stuff, right? Yeah, only um, uh, Eli Roth did one that by the uh, you could probably definitely uh, find it on YouTube. It was the only place I, I actually saw it. It's hilarious. It's some kind of laundry detergent. Uh-huh. And he did it sort of like a, I guess, like a Jason Freddy kind of creepy ass thing, like his thing. And, you know, it's so like an axe murderer going through the sheets that are hanging on the line. And, and it was all for laundry detergent. It was it was like the most hilarious, creepy ass commercial. Well, I, I think, you know, that then shows you. Um, the way that a business can be really smart and take somebody's personality and use it for their gain to, you know, the commercial appeal of that person's personality. You know, the, the M night thing was, if I remember, it was like an American express or, and, you know, they're in a graveyard or something and it's spooky. And, um, I just think that some companies are savvy to play to that sort of thing um, and to also show that they have a sense of humor. Um, it's great. And now a lot of the TV shows just, you know, they have to force the product placement in there. Like every show that I watch is pitching a, t- uh, a car. Yeah, that's right. Or they're all driving Chryslers as they lock people up or, yeah. Or the, yeah. I, I mean, like the, so. the transporter. I don't know if you've seen the transporter show. I have not. It's basically just hour-long Audi commercials. <laughs> now, oddly enough, for me, that would be okay, because I think those cars are awesome. But It's a badass thing. Yeah, it's, but it's a badass show. I understand for some people that's... But, you know, that goes to another aspect of what's up with the entertainment industry, which is um, the whole way that they used to make money has broken down because commercial... Okay, the way they used to sell to commercial companies to is like we're on from eight to nine and this is the audience that we know we're getting so we're going to charge you this much to sell your product a couple of things as you know have changed number one nobody watches 
programs at the time that they're on, with very few exceptions. Right. And so they do what's called time shifting, which, you know, in our terms is like you, you DVR it or you record it, you know, and then you watch it another time and you fast forward through the commercials. So if you're, you know, Coca-Cola and you want people to see a Coke commercial, how do you do that? Well, what you ultimately do is you say, look, I'll give you money if you have all your people like on um, American Idol, they're all drinking whatever they're drinking in these big Coca-Cola cups. And that's how that works. You know, or if right. you're going to, we'll, we'll make sure that Ice-T always drinks a Coke right before he grabs a perp um, in whatever show that is. Um, the only case where that doesn't quite happen is sporting events because very few people are willing to wait till the next day to see who won the Super Bowl or even, you know, a particular game or whatever. Um, so live sporting events are the ones that still can make money off of commercial advertisers. But, oh, and then of course, there's the TV shows that aren't even on TV. They're on Netflix or Amazon or other things. And what they do then is they make you watch a specific ad, but they make you watch 15 seconds. There's a new thing that's happening that may be in the works, and we'll see if this works, where they are going to make people watch their ad. Because what happens is if you're like me, you turn the sound off, you do something else for 15 seconds. <laughs> and then you come back. Hulu or whatever you're watching. Yeah. Now they're going to make you watch it because you're going to have to answer a question about the commercial and then click on it before you get to watch your content, um, which is interesting. On, yeah, on Hulu, I noticed it. Um, on Pandora, for example, I, I, I turn Pandora on just for, for background music. And it will sometimes ask you if you... Um, want to go through like a, an ad survey or something like do you want to do their ad activity in order to go on you know for two hours without commercials or something right right i've seen that too like you, you or yeah will you do a trip you do you want to watch this commercial the usual way or you want to do something involving trivia it's like, yeah uh, and i yeah the, also, just so you know, the way that they check ratings has completely shifted because, as I just told you, the way that people watch TV is so completely different. So when I was a kid, I was really lucky. There were like seven channels in New York, which was more than most people grew up with across the country, all before cable. Now, there are so many choices in the time shifting and whatnot that the whole Nielsen rating system is completely different. It used to be just like you could tell who watched last night or who didn't. Then they had to say who's going to watch within the next three days or who's going to watch within seven days. Then also you have Netflix who says we are doing great with Orange is the New Black, but we're not going to tell you how many people watch because they don't have to because they're a subscription service. They may not even tell you or the press how many people subscribe to their service. So it's that part of show business has completely changed. But for people who are listening and like, what do I care? I'm a writer. What does this have to do with me? I will tell you because there's a billion channels and even television that's not on television, there are tremendous opportunities for writers because, number one, there's many more shows that you could be writing on. Number two, many opportunities for people to produce their own material because as you've said, there's YouTube. And before anyone goes, oh, yeah, but nobody makes money off of that. Well, you know, 
some look i'm not saying it's an automatic way to monetize your creative process but people would be surprised to learn how some projects get started and where they go you know i'm just thinking for example there's a show called broad city um those are two young women who started out at the upright citizens brigade here in i think it was here in new york which is an improv uh school and um performance space that was started by Amy Poehler and a bunch, a couple of other people that she was in a, a troupe called Upright Citizens Brigade. And I studied there uh, with Bobby Moynihan, who's on Saturday Night Live, and some other people. And um, What is really great about that is you can generate buzz, you might get picked up by Comedy Central, or you might be able to even just get banner ads on your site. You know, Key and Peel, who everybody knows, uh, they had a show for five or seven years, but they have so much more uh, interest in them just on YouTube. I mean, that's, it's incredible. So, uh, and that also affects performers because performers, it's the same way. You know, years ago, you either went to New York or Los Angeles and you had a limited amount of opportunities for things that you could do. Now, because of technology, you could be anywhere and be, at the very least, an internet sensation. But you also, if you come to the places like New York and L.A., there's so many more shows that you could be on. Um, And there are people uh, who are getting their starts in ways that just didn't even exist when I was first in the business. Do you think that that there's more staying power or less stress about having staying power in publishing than there is in um, like acting and performing, because it seems like you could be a big hit right away with performing and then be forgotten just as quickly. No, I think the same issues could apply. I, I know for a fact that there are some people, if you, you write a book or two and you become very popular with that book, I'm not talking about Harper Lee. <laughs> well, sure. That's- I mean, well, you could say, well, look, look at Harper Lee. She did one book 40 or 50 years ago. Her second book is very popular. That's incredibly exceptional. And almost the fact that she never followed up what is arguably one of the greatest books in American history, you know, that that's very different. Let's say you're a romance author or, you know, something, a lot of what I'd call genre fiction, one of the more popular forms of fiction. You put out a couple of books and then you disappear for a little while because there's so much available online for $2.99. Um, suddenly, you know, you wait two years or three years to get back in. It's like, oh, I'm already following Joe Schmo. I'm not that, you know, I might look at your stuff, but you're gone from my consciousness. You know, um, not to mention how much of a relationship people have on Facebook or Twitter or whatever with their readers. Um, and I'm not sure, by the way, I'm still, I'm still uh, ambivalent about how much people need to interact with their readers, you know, uh, or how much a Facebook following or a Twitter following has an impact on how many people buy your book. That's interesting because I've seen some agent submission guidelines that actually speak to that. They they say that they're looking for people um, who have who already have a good web presence or their own 
followers and fan base and stuff. I know that's something that you've talked about before in the difference in publishing today, how um, even anyone you represent, how you need to do your own promotions and stuff. You need to, you need to constantly, you know, promote yourself. Well, well, here's how it used to be. You know, there used to be Walden books and border books and other places, borders rather, and you could go around the country and meet people and shake hands and they'd buy your book. And you could sign a bunch of the back stock. And the old adage was a signed book is a sold book. Because people would come in and they'd go, oh, my God, someone was here and they signed this book. I'll buy it. Um, and now there's so many less outlets for um, writers and readers to interact. Other than on social media, you would think, well, then that's the place where you should be interacting and that's going to sell books. And that does make sense. But I have to tell you, I've represented New York Times best-selling authors who had like 600 Twitter followers, and they still hit the New York Times list, which is a lot more than 600 books sold. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm – by the way, it's not like I have the answer to tell you why that is. I, I'm not sure, and I'm not an expert on SEO or all of those things. I will say nothing beats writing a great book. And, you know, I think that's first and foremost. You're an author. Your job is to write a great book. And that's one of the reasons to have a really good team. You know, this whole self-publishing phenomenon that occurred led to, for a while, some people thinking they could do everything themselves. But then once many, many, many people were self-publishing and then everybody was trying to be a marketing expert and a legal expert and a publishing expert and distribution expert, all of that stuff, they started to, it just got overwhelming and they forgot that their job was to write a great book. And uh, I think there's been a swing of the pendulum back to, if not traditional publishing, at least a new way of looking at self-publishing and promotion. I I think it's crucial when you are doing nonfiction to have a great platform. You know, one of my clients, um, she's a legal client, not a writing client, is a famous chef and uh, personality. She was in an Oscar-nominated documentary and... You know, it's important for her to have a really uh, great platform, but she does. I mean, she's been on Oprah and things like that. But when you're doing, again, I just go back to, let's say, erotic romance. Um, I don't know that you need to have a big web presence. Um, I just don't, I don't see that it translates as much. Um, yeah, so that's... That's where it stands, at least right now. The other thing to remember is because of the way the technology has shifted over the last several years in all aspects of show business, there's no truth that seems to last longer than a few weeks or a few months. That's so true. So I think the one thing that everybody who wants to be successful in show business needs to do is to be adaptable and flexible and to not be frustrated that what they did last year no longer is effective or giving them the same results. You know, I've seen, I know an author who used to tour a lot and then they didn't want to tour anymore. And then they didn't want to do certain things. And then also because they were getting paid less per book because the economy, um, they shifted the way they, or they didn't shift the way they did things. And they just didn't hit the list anymore. And I think it became frustrating and a self 
fulfilling prophecy of failure. And um, I think you just really need to be flexible and adaptable. And um, thinking about how, how things have changed, I mean, there's technology and the marketing and, and the publishing. I've come across some things that, I'm, uh, that are like new words to me and new codes, especially on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, things like, you know, like the middle grade market and new adults. Like, how are these things different <laughs> from YA and what the hell is an up market? Okay, well, let's, let's talk about middle grade and NA or new adult. Um, Everything was just YA for like the longest time. Right. Well, I think, well, I mean, I can explain that, you know, middle grade was literally what it sounds like, middle grades. And I don't know specifically, and I'm sure someone will say I said it wrong, but, you know, junior high school, let's just say, or early. So like seven, eight, seven, eight, nine. Maybe. And, but, and a new adult was, you know, think of the difference in Y and NA, and NA as the difference between the breakfast club and St. Almost Fire. In that, you know, YA is like whatever high school issues and NA is like your first job, your first real relationship, not high school sweetheart, but like, quote unquote, entering adulthood. But I think what really happened was publishing, um, a, a bunch of people in publishing were freaking and they wanted to create something like New Coke or oat bran, you know, uh, something that made... It's the new kale. Exactly. I mean, like, what is the food du jour? What is, you know, uh, look, I live in Brooklyn. So, like, there's a store, there's literally a store in my neighborhood that sells coffee, vinyl records, and taxidermy. And it looks like a place that just begs to be on uh, Comedy Central as, like, central casting for hipsters. And I'm just not cool enough to go in there. Um, <laughs> I'm just not. And that's not even Williamsburg. And I just leave it alone. So oh um, I, I think to some degree, you know, calling something in a, I don't know. The problem, labels are a double-edged sword. Labels help because when someone, whether it's an editor or an agent or a consumer, and you hand them something, most people can't just say, I'm going to take this on its own merits. They want to know, hey, what is this like? How, what, what box do I put this in so I can say yes or no to it? And obviously, we want people to say yes. So you try to put it in their yes box. You know what I mean? So in the same way that, um, wow, I'm going to do this. Um, if you meet somebody and somehow sexuality shows up, it's like, are they bi or are they gay? It's like, well, let's say that, you know, it's a woman who's only dated guys before and you'd say, well, she's straight, but like, you don't know if suddenly they meet someone that they really love and feel connected to and they just happen to be a woman. Now, does that mean she's suddenly lesbian or does it mean that, no, she likes this person and the genitalia don't matter it's like having the you know putting it in a specific category can be extremely limiting but it also can guide people to the right thing is this making sense am i talking yeah it makes sense no it's funny because we're yeah we're doing this during um like bisexual visibility day so it's um it's, <laughs> is that today or will it, become- it is today it is the day we're recording oh, okay. yeah well that's yeah, interesting 
So, that's fascinating. Okay. Yeah. So these, see, it's in your consciousness and you didn't even know. Well, what's funny to me, by the way, and this is another one of those things that's crazy about labels, is that, okay, normally you think, you know, I'm 53 and I grew up at a time, you know, uh, when AIDS was prevalent and a lot of people were coming out of the closet and there was a sexual revolution for women, allegedly. And all of that stuff was going on, right? And so you think bisexual, that's really great that we can get out there and talk about bisexuality. But then there are people who get upset with you. I guarantee you, and in fact, I, can, I have a picture in my head of one young person who's probably, well, if they're listening to this, um, that they would be upset because you're talking about a binary sexual model where it's men and women, right? And there yeah, are true. some people that are that feel they don't, uh, I just alienated them further because I said feel rather than just aren't. The, some people who don't exist on the binary plane. Um, and so, right, and this is, this is a new thing for me. Like, we weren't taught this. Right, I certainly know. wasn't taught that. So, so yeah, it, so this is all stuff that I've learned from, like, going to um, really, like, free and welcoming kind of shows like steampunk world's fair they have like a transgender panel and i'm like i learn all kinds of stuff so they would prefer if there was such a thing called pansexual awareness because right. you know let's just say uh if i were uh, i you know are you attracted to men and women well yeah well what about men who identify as women or what about women who identify as neither male or female but in some area between depending on the day and i i'm not saying that sarcastically so please don't write me or write me if you want to but know that you know if you're writing me you don't know anything about my sexuality and who i've dated and that's none of your business but i'm just saying just using this as an example that um labels are limiting and becoming offended is an indulgence that will get some mail, perhaps. But I think that uh, being offended doesn't serve anybody. Um, and I know that, um, well, I'll just, I'll leave that. That's not my job. But in any event, I think that, so talking about the labels for things with show business, you know, a great example is there are some movies, you know, they call them dramedies because it's a drama with comedy. And sometimes, I, you know, when I'm pitching books to, to editors, you know, is it a romantic suspense or is it a suspenseful book with romantic elements? Um, and there was a time when people said, oh, paranormal is dead. It's been saturated. So then is something neo-Gothic? Is something an urban fantasy? Is, you know, labels... After a while, they can become meaningless, but they can serve, too, if they can help people at least have a sense of what something is like. So it's, uh, I mean, I'd love for people to take on every work brand new with, you know, what Zen masters would call beginner's mind, but I also know better than that. And I think that we all are like, oh, this is like this, right? You know, you see a cop show, you go, oh, is that like Adam 12 or CSI? like well no it's its own thing and then they look at you puzzled you know 
I mean, I love- well, they, I mean, yeah, we were using like, you know, John Hughes references and it's like, <laughs> you, you, you can't even do that um, today because there is more uh, just awareness and diversity and stuff. I mean, I don't think there, if there was ever a person of color in a John Hughes movie um, and, and uh, or anybody not heteronormative, uh, you know. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was totally in um, some kind of wonderful. Was that John Hughes? Oh, it may not have been. I love that movie. But the right, character, the drummer, Mary, whatever her name Mary, is. Mary Stewart's master. Yeah, I loved that? her. And she was really kind of tomboyish, right? right, and, right. Yeah. She and um, so, like, what does that say about the guy who digs her more than Leo Thompson? Is that the yeah, other yeah. thing? I mean, not saying that, or if you were attracted to Eric Stoltz, and that's a whole other thing. As a guy, but like you know, if you're like into you know the drummer Tom Tomboy, I don't know why I'm bringing this up. <laughs> but um, well, maybe was she heteronormative? I don't know. See, if that movie was made today, the drummer would be genderqueer. You know, yeah, it would be really different. It would be you. It would be like Ruby Rose. You know, oh right. You know, with it would be black. Like, yeah, it would be it would be really different if those things were made today. And, uh, you know, but it's funny how that feeds into what we're taught. I mean, what we're taught about labels and sex and entertainment and all that stuff. I mean, I I I'm very much on the record that my first husband was a raging asshole and he has he literally said the words that I should never cut my hair because any man who's attracted to a woman with short hair must be gay. Okay, first of all, I didn't know you were married, so that's interesting. <laughs> Second of all, sorry that that experience happened. But that's, you know, <laughs> he is far from an aberration. I mean, there's lots yeah. of people who have a lot of rules. I should also point out that all the people who are like, supposedly we're now in this new era, people still have tons of rules. People are still incredibly prejudiced. You know, I had lesbian friends who marched in pride or whatever who were pissed at the transgender people because they were like, well, if my girlfriend decided she wanted to be a dude, we could get married. That's all pre-equal marriage. But, you know, so there's plenty of bias against each other within that, you know, the LGBT community. And people still have tremendous prejudices. And, uh, you know... I'm sure there are lots of genderqueer people out there saying, man, we just want to be accepted, except for you cis guys. I don't care what you have to say because you have tons of privilege and go screw yourselves. Um, (laughs) Watching the people hate on each other on Twitter has been educational. Um, And like I said, you know, watching people decide what to offend themselves with has been really interesting and educational. Um, But to tie it back into show business, people who are smart and want to sell what they have to sell or say what they want to say will not ignore what's happening in society. So, you know, you have a show like Modern Family where you have this fun gay couple, you know, and uh, also you get a chance to drive the agenda. You know, when you're Ellen, right, Ellen gets um, canceled on her CBS show because she says, yeah, I'm gay in a major magazine. 
Um, for you kids listening, uh, go to Google and see what a magazine is. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was the cover of Time. Right, but then, you know, she is like the number one daytime variety host or whatever. And there are women, in, you know, and men all over the country who love watching Ellen and don't even think of the fact that she has a hot wife. And it doesn't matter. And it's like, how did that happen? You know, Will and Grace were like, for many people, the first gay guys that they you know, on that show with the first gay guys they knew, they didn't think about their hairdresser or their postman or their bar, whatever. Um, and then slowly but surely, you know, the more people that people meet who they might put in categories and then realize either they're not what they think or that the categories are irrelevant, um, it, it moves us in a, what I think is a great direction. Oh, but this this brings up something that I really uh, just have seen. You were talking about things that get vented on Twitter. I, I since, since I don't know anything about like acting and, and stuff like that, I um I know that a lot of people in the queer community are pissed off that that transparent won yeah. an award. Well, and why is that? Because it's a transgender character played by a cisgendered person, Jeffrey Tambor, who happens yeah. to be a brilliant actor and a wonderful human being. He is a brilliant well, actor. Well, here's totally. the problem. Here's the problem. And I will probably catch crap for this too. They were. Oh, well, I mean, I know this happened with the Oscars right. too, with I, the Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that movie also. And I think those performance, the performances are great. Look, if there are plenty of gay people playing straight, <laughs> and there's reasons for that for some of them, there's plenty of straight people playing gay. It's called acting. And I think that the complaint of that community is they don't see enough representation of their community in uh, the entertainment industry. And I think that part of seeing that is the natural evolution is you're going to see non-trans people in trans roles. In the same way, look, if you look at Gunga Din, Okay, you're like, what? Gunga Din was a famous poem, and it became a movie, and it was probably Cary Grant's first great movie. Um, and I urge people to watch it. It's amazing. But the person who plays Gunga Din is an actor named Sam Jaffe. And if I'm not mistaken, he was a short Jewish guy. Also, a lot of the people who played Native Americans in American Westerns were not Native Americans. Does that mean that's a great thing? No, it's just the way it was. And eventually you have people like, I think his name is Graham Greene, who's a fantastic actor, he's a Native American. I love him. He's funny and talented. I love him. Um, he plays such an asshole online. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. Um, but there is, um, you know, it's, it's a process. It's going to take time. Yeah, and I, don't, and I don't think that being angry about it is the answer. Also, by the way, um, Jill Soloway, who I believe was the writer of Transparent, and yeah. I actually know her sister Faith. I used to open up for her when she was a singer-songwriter, I think, if I'm thinking of the same person, because uh, they used to do singer-songwriter stuff back when I was doing stand-up before folk acts. Um, you know, they have a transparent, literally. They're, they're um, and I don't know the term they use, but I think their father transitioned to become a woman. Um, and it's really the basis of this show. Um, 
I don't think you get to tell people how to cast their projects. That's the bottom line. I mean, they're not doing, they're far from doing anything illegal. Um, and I think it's great if you can have someone like, is it Sue Cox? Am I saying that right? For Orange is the New Black, the trans actress? Laverne, Laverne Cox. Cox, sorry. Um, that's great. She's awesome. Um, you know, she, I, I thought it was her playing her pre-transition self on one of the episodes where you see her before transition when she's a fireman. In fact, she had a twin brother. Um, and that's her twin brother playing her pre-transition. But if that were, That's so cool. I know, but if that weren't the case, she would have to play a man. Now, will people be pissed if, like, at some point, people just want to be angry. A lot of the internet is just this giant outrage machine. I, I've seen this. I love Chris, uh, the Nerdist. Um, oh, crap. What's Chris's name? Hardwick. Thank you. Um, you know, Chris is a really great guy, but he can't spend more than a couple of days without pissing somebody off. You know, it's just, it's just the nature of the internet. I think it's just the nature of people that there's a lot of angry people out there and they're looking for something to blame for the fact that they're angry. The truth is there are trans people who can see this as a tremendous development and there are trans people who are angry for whatever reason and they're going to get angry at this. You know, this is not like uh, recently a trans person had a really big problem at an airport. Um, I don't want to get into that. It's none of my business. But like when someone's rights are particularly violated, I understand that. But when you are upset because somebody else did something with their uh, creative project, my answer is get out there, support a creative project you want to support, create it, get involved in that. Um, you know, this is not blackface. This is not racism. I don't think, and if anything, these kind of projects really move things forward. So that's my opinion. And by the way, it's just my opinion. If you think it's wrong, go do what you want to do, you know? And if I, you know, I, I will tell you, I, I like everybody. I really do. So I'm not, you know, uh, I just understand that people are upset. That, you know, regardless of all this stuff, all you have to do is walk around this country. People are upset and it rarely has anything to do with what they think it is. That's a whole other program if you ever want to do it. Yeah, yeah. We can always talk about um, the, the nature of offensive and, and stuff. Before, before we um, wrap anything up, though, since we're talking about all this wonderful, like, um, entertainment stuff, what do you have any, like, favorite books this year things that you've really loved or movies or what's got you excited for i know we're like almost oh, done with 2015 man. but what's been exciting for you this year <sighs> I, that assumes i remember things um i'm this actually is why I have like a list. yeah I keep a spreadsheet. Um, what about well i mean you know it's funny i just rewatched the king's speech and i want to say that but that's an old movie now um and um uh, I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild, and so I got to watch a lot of screeners from last year, but all those things already won awards and stuff. So I'm trying to think what I've seen recently. I just – I recently saw – I think it's called Learning to Drive with Sir Ben Kingsley, and um, I'm blanking on her name, Patricia Clarkson. And I thought that was really fun. I saw the Disney movie Inside Out, and I thought that was fantastic. Amy Poehler is in that, and – 
that's a must see no matter what your age is. Um, I've, I heard, yeah, I heard, heard a lot of people talking about that and I never got to see it. I've seen some shows that unfortunately are old because they're on Amazon and they're BBC, but there was something with Bill Nye and, um, he plays, uh, like a spy in it and oh, you got to look it up. Um, it stars like amazing actors. They've got people like, um, oh my God, who's that? And I'm like, I hate that I'm not remembering people's names. The actress who played Bellatrix in Harry Potter, she's married to... Oh, yeah, what's her actress. face? <laughs> and, and she's, Helena Bottom Garner. Yes, she's in it, and like um, Christopher Walken's in it. I'm like, why have I never seen this? amazing. And then Sherlock is coming back. Um, the guy, I totally am crazy about the guy who plays Moriarty. On Sherlock, oh, too. oh, me too. He yeah. is so evil and perfect. I and love him. I mean, at first, how great he is! Uh, yeah, those are my favorite episodes of Sherlock because I literally, I don't know why, but I only like about half the episodes. Um, but, but the Moriarty episodes to me are mesmerizing. He's just amazing in the same way that Heath Ledger was amazing as the Joker, and I think nobody could touch Heath Leather, Ledger's performance in that. Uh, Batman. But going to books, um, I'm reading a book now by someone who I don't even represent um, that they were just showing me, and I love it, and I can't talk about it, so that's not good. Um, I have some clients' books that are coming up that I can't really talk about them either, so I don't really read much other than for my own work purposes. Um, a friend of mine, Mena von Prague, I don't represent her, but she has a book out called... Was that? Shoot. Look her up. She's a British author, although she sells here in America also. So check her out. She writes, she has written a lot of magical realism. And what was her name again? Mena, M-E-N-N-A, Vaughn, it's V-A-N, Prague, P-R-A-A-G. It's a Dutch name, but she's extremely British, I assure you. Um, She's great. Also, my friends Ariel and Shia Kane have a new book out called Practical Enlightenment. And that is about what you think it's about. It's, um, let's just say if you're a fan of Eckhart Tolle, but you struggle trying to wrap your head around some of these concepts around living in the present moment, they have written several really excellent books that take it out of the esoteric realm and put it in really practical terms. And this is their latest book. Their first book, which I recommend to everybody, is called Working on Yourself Doesn't Work. It's sort of an anti-self-help self-help book. Um, and if you think about it, it's just a great title, but it's also a great book. It is a great title. Um, I can't say enough. I've done seminars with them and uh, every year I go to Costa Rica with them on a retreat and it's fantastic. Changed my life dramatically. So those are my suggestions uh, in those realms. Um, I'm glad that there's a new, that there's new Sherlock because I know the BBC doesn't do like tons of seasons of their show. And also it's like there's three episodes and the season's over and I'm like, what? Like, what is that? And, you know, the other thing about the way showbiz is today is, like, I just started watching Elementary. Like, that show's been on for a while. Again, it's, speaking of Sherlock Holmes, it's a new take on that story. But there's, yeah, I watch it. that guy's great. Lucy Liu is fantastic. I love that they do not have a romantic relationship, that they're never going to. It's not going to be like they end up together at the end, you know. And 
Um, the guy who plays Sherlock's brother, uh, the name is really My- Mycroft, is yeah. actually the actor who played the roommate in Notting Hill. And people are like, what? Look at him. I swear to God, it's the same guy. Uh, I mean, I looked it up. And he is fantastic. He's not just a goof. He's an amazing actor. And I just love seeing good people do good work when really good writing shows up. I mean, Aiden Quinn is in that show. And he does amazing work in not the starring role. But he doesn't, you can see, he doesn't play his character like he's secondary. Like, he plays his character like the show's about him. You know what I mean? Because that's, I I don't want to talk about acting because then we're going to have three hours. But the the bottom line of all of this is there's great work being done by great people in every aspect of the business. And uh, the exciting parts of technology are that it's more available to everyone. And people are going to run around as if their hair is on fire, screaming the world's coming to an end in every aspect of show business. And yet, you know what? Um, yes, you can download music now and people are sharing things for free and rock and roll still exists. Bands are still making money and you can hear and uh, be involved in more aspects of this business than ever before. And that's being said by someone who represents people trying to protect intellectual property. So that should tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> that's right. Um... Let's see. TV wise, I'm excited about uh, the new fall season starting because I uh, I'm really into things like um, well, the new castle just started and it, <laughs> it definitely it definitely started stronger than last season, which kind of blew. Um, so hopefully that's going to be better. Gotham seems to have improved quite a bit, uh, and I'm really looking forward to my favorites like Empire and How to Get Away with Murder. I still haven't and... watched either of those. They're on my. You know, everybody has to be red piles. That's in my to be yes. watch. Oh yeah, no, I'm usually a Netflix watcher, so there are a few, very few things that I'm current with. And uh, Nashville is starting, which uh, is gets very dramatic at times. And I'm very happy that they had their gay character actually come out, um, because that was a struggle for a whole season. Um, Let's see. Netflix, though, I am very addicted to Longmire. Like, I'm so glad Netflix saved that show. Uh, I don't know anything about it. That's going to have to uh, be seen by me. It's, um, yeah. It's, oh, so... Warwicker, by the way. Warwicker is the name of that spy show that involves oh. uh, Bill Nye. Not the science guy, the amazing actor. I'll, <laughs> I'll have to ask my mom. Carter, all these other people. Uh, it's called Warwicker, and it's really not even a show. It was more like a series of short movies. you got to watch it. I mean, please, I swear to God. Uh, and I know that we have to go. I, I do want – can I tell people that I'll be in New Jersey at the New Jersey Romance Writers uh, Convention? We don't have a time limit uh, per se. I, I mean, we I have, kind we of do, to. unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Get back. But um, I, um, you can go to my – People can go to my website if they want to know more about my stuff. And that's rubenlaw.org. That's R-U-B-E-N-L-A-W.org. And people can also follow me on Twitter, as I said at the beginning, at Eric Rubin Lawyer or at Eric Rubin Comedy. I really thank you, uh, Elizabeth, for having me. Um, yeah. And uh, let, bleh, I, I'm sorry to run off, but is there anything else that you or our listeners need to know before I disappear? 
No, absolutely. As long as they know where to find you and follow you, and I'm glad that uh, New York is treating you well. It's just very happy. To we're not that far away. Come over, come visit, we'll do lunch, <laughs> or have a coffee or something. Something, yeah. And it is exciting that you'll be uh, in Jersey. I have to check out and see what date that is. Um, hey. But I will be, I will be at New York Comic Con, so that's coming up. Ah, when is that? That's the second week of October. So that's a, a big, uh, what is that, October, like, 9th, 10th, that weekend. Um, that's a, you know, monstrosity of chaos with, like, you know, 160,000 people or more. October, did you say October? Yeah, October. 8th, 9th, 10th. Oh, my God, that's very soon. Yes, it's very I soon. think it's the weekend after that that I'm going to be in New Jersey for the Romance Writers Convention. Cool. Well, I'm glad that they do that in Jersey. Oh, they, they have a very good organization there. And um, it's a great opportunity for writers to meet agents, editors, and other writers. Um, but thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to talk to you. You're welcome. I'll see you on the internets. See you there. <laughs> Take care and thanks again. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.